Hey everyone, this is Chet Harms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about a story in the life of Jesus. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about the services that we have coming up on Easter and the week leading up to it, which is traditionally called Holy Week. The first thing we have is Palm Sunday, which this year falls on March 25th. And our Palm Sunday service is one in which we really try to celebrate who Jesus is and why it was important that he entered into Jerusalem. And because our goal is to celebrate, that service is usually a really fun and lively service for us. And this year will be no different. We'll sing some upbeat songs. My sermon will be... One in which I am lighthearted, but also really try to focus on who Jesus is and why that's important. The following Friday is Good Friday, the day that the church commemorates the death of Jesus and all that it means for us. Our Good Friday service is very different than our Palm Sunday service. It is a service where we do our best to reflect deeply on the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. Our Good Friday service is centered around the Stations of the Cross, which is a traditional and artistic way of remembering the passion of Christ. We will take time to think about certain things that Jesus suffered as he moved towards death, and then we will reflect and then sing songs that align with those incredible sufferings. We'll finish that service with communion. The next day, March 31st, is our annual Easter egg hunt. And in that event, we partner with the Villebois Events Committee. Villebois is the neighborhood that we have our church services in. And we're really proud and excited to be able to partner with them again as we run that Easter egg hunt. That event runs from 12.45 p.m. until about 1.30, and there are different starting times for different age groups. There will be thousands of eggs, great prizes. It's really a great event. If you have kids or grandkids, we hope that you'll come out and be a part of that. And then the following day is Sunday, the Sunday of Easter. And on that day, we'll have what I think will be an incredible service. We do our best to blend contemporary and traditional in our Easter service. We sing old and new songs. We'll also have video and readings, and so really it is kind of a mix of old and new. On that Sunday, I'll preach a sermon about how, no matter how bad things are in our lives, the resurrection means that we can have a fresh start. We'll finish that service by decorating an old, super ugly cross with flowers as a reminder that Jesus' death was horrible and ugly, but his resurrection is the most beautiful thing that the world has ever known. After that service, we will have a brunch, and the brunch is catered by Wilsonville Catering Company. They do an incredible job, and we're going to have a great meal with eggs and bacon and lots of good stuff. So now I've told you about all that we have going on, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, our egg hunt, and Easter. I really do hope that you'll come and be a part of each of those things. You can get all of the details by going to wilsonville.church Easter. That's wilsonville.church slash Easter. And now I hope that this sermon helps you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Temptation, I think we, we all kind of know what that is. Um, one illustration that I've heard people use is of uh, a little boy uh, who's at a grocery store, and he is just standing at, at this open container of peanut butter cookies, and he is just staring at it. And one of the clerks uh, comes over and says, now, little boy, what are you doing? And he says, nothing. I'm doing nothing. And the grocer says, you know what? It looks like you're trying to take one of those cookies. And he says, sir, you've got it wrong. I'm trying not to, <laughs> right? That's temptation. It's, it's confronted with something that we really want to do, and we are stuck there trying not to do it. That's temptation. And the reality is I think all of us, if we think hard enough or maybe not at all, uh, we can think of 
uh, the ways in which we are tempted, the times we've been tempted, and the times that we've given in to temptation. It is everywhere. Uh, in fact, uh, my many years at Costco, I was actually sort of in charge of implementing uh, controlled temptation. They're called impulse blocks. Uh, at Costco, I would have to design these and set up, and it's basically taking these pallets of items that um, serve really no practical purpose other than uh, are cool and people will want them when they see them, but they'll never come in to get them. Uh, you'll notice when you go into Costco, you can never find what you came in there for or what you wanted, but you'll find a whole lot of other things. Yes, that's the point. Those are impulse blocks, high traffic areas you walk by and you say, I never knew I always wanted this. Will it fit in the car? Right? That's, that's what we do. Grocery stores know this. That's why when you get there, you have to look and see candy and all these things. You're like, $5 headphones? <laughs> yes, please. Right? That's, that's an impulse. That's a temptation. They know how to work the system. Every single day, we are inundated with temptations that offer us the choice. They offer us two options. Either we give in or we stay strong and we stay true. Maybe Maybe there is someone who says the absolute stupidest thing you have ever heard in your adult life, and you are just sitting there, mm, something inside you screaming, you better let them know just how stupid they are, right? You want to tell them in painful detail why what they just said is, in fact, the dumbest thing you've ever heard. That's a temptation. That is a temptation. Or maybe, maybe you're put in a situation where... Uh, your option is to be embarrassed or to be humiliated, and your other option is to lie to save face. I remember when I was growing up, I had um, this neighbor, a uh, very um, chrismudgeon neighbor. You don't know what that means, but you kind of know how it sounds, right? Uh, chrismudgeon. <laughs> well, she or he, um, she, okay, We've, it's out of the box. Um, she wasn't all that nice, and my, my mother, bless her heart, she would let me, let me dress myself at this age. And, uh, of course, if the pants went on and I could walk afterwards, then that's the right way that they go on, right? So I go over to this neighbor's house, and my pants are on backwards, okay? And she looks at me, and in just this voice oozing with sardonic passive aggression, she says, now, Matthew, you do know your pants are on backwards, right? But in instead of being humiliated, embarrassed, instead of being wrong, instead of admitting that I had made a mistake, I said, <laughs> I know. I'm, you know I, I'm thinking I'm a trendsetter here. Yes, this is how I wear my pants. Thank you very much. And she looks at me, checkmate sort of, and says, well, then how do you go to the bathroom? Right? She had me. She had me, but she didn't know. She did not know that I actually share. There's only one other person, and it's the, the dictator of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, that has this. I said, I don't go to the bathroom. Right? I don't go to the bathroom. And instead of accepting that I had made a mistake, however stupid it was, instead of being humiliated, instead of being embarrassed, I said, I can lie to save face. And I was actually willing to maintain the impossible lie that I didn't go to the bathroom. And she would find out a short time later that that's not true because I accidentally pooped in her garage. <laughs> so she would know. She would know. It was impossible, but we do that even in small things. Instead of being embarrassed, instead of saying, you know what, I made a mistake, I know that's stupid, we might lie and say, yes, I, I meant to do that. And I think that you all have your own stories when it comes to temptation. But today's focus is not just on temptation generally, it's on very, a very specific temptation. Uh, it's on the temptation of Jesus Christ. 
And so Chad talked about last week the baptism. And the baptism and the temptation are, in fact, um, intricately tied together. Uh, it happens directly after the baptism, the temptation. And so what we know is the author of Mark, his name is John Mark, is what um, Acts tells us. Um, he said that the temptation came immediately after. Uh, Matthew says, just uses then. So the baptism happened, then he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. Uh, Luke actually interrupts these two. Um, the baptism, then he gives a genealogy that shows that Jesus came from Abraham. He was, in fact, a descendant of Abraham, so he was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He had the right lineage, so to speak, and then it goes into the temptation, and John, John does not talk about the temptation. Uh, we also know that Mark um, got most of his information from the apostle Peter, um, and uh, Mark traveled with Paul, Peter, and Barnabas. Barnabas was his cousin. His mother was Mary. We know most of this from the book of Acts. But uh, the reason I, I bring that up in terms of the baptism uh, and the temptation is because you're going to see um, that the temptation, especially the first temptation that Satan offers Jesus, really shows us that Satan was present and following and watching Jesus, even at his baptism. Um, but first, since we're going through Mark, and uh, of course he gives me the temptation with Mark, so just so you know, Mark has the absolute shortest version of the temptation. So I'm going, I'll be drawing from Matthew a little bit, but this is what Mark says. The Spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. That's literally all it says in Mark. Fuller accounts you, you'll find in Matthew and you'll find in Luke. But uh, before I get into three specific points I want to make, I just want to say this. We know that Mark got most of his information from the apostle Peter. But in this particular verse in Mark, he's making a very Pauline point. He's making a point that comes from the apostle Paul. And we know that Mark traveled with Paul. We know that Mark was the cousin of Barnabas, who was a frequent companion of Paul. And he says that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals. And this is not just an off point. He is making the comparison, this is what Paul, Paul said, that Jesus is the second Adam. Well, here we have Jesus in the wilderness. While Adam had this lush garden, Jesus had the desert, empty and bleak, lush and beautiful. Where Adam had subdued animals, Jesus was out there with wild animals, where, Jesus, where Adam, sorry, was tempted and failed, Jesus was also tempted by Satan but stayed strong. Mark is making the point that Jesus was reliving the life of Adam to get it right. Adam got it wrong. Jesus relived it and got it right. This was to usher in that ministry. But Paul, but sorry, Matthew um, gives us the precise temptations that Satan offered. Uh, it came one, it came right after Jesus was baptized. And it's an important note because ha, have you ever gone to a retreat? Have you ever done something where you're coming off this spiritual high and you're like, yes, I'm in love with Jesus? And then, and then kind of on this descent, you feel extra attacked. You feel like life is just a bit harder. The struggle is a little bit more. Satan feeds on that. He wants to attack you when you think you're strong. Paul even says to he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Satan does not like strong people, so he will make strong attacks. The second is 
Jesus was incredibly weak at this point. He was incredibly weak. He had been fasting for 40 days. That is long. I mean, at that point, you've eaten away any stored body fat you had. Your body's literally eating any muscle that you have. Your brain is not getting as much blood. You are physically and, frankly, emotionally exhausted. Satan will feed on that. It's harder to trust when you feel like you don't have the strength, frankly, to carry on. And third, Jesus was alone. We can be tempted when we are alone. When we think nobody is watching, that's when temptation can be incredibly strong. And I want to I want to look at this study. It was done in 1992. But I think it's still pertinent today. Uh, it's from the readers of a discipleship journal. And it was asking when in the lives of these readers was temptation most powerful? And 81% said when they had neglected their time with God. And 51% said when they were physically tired. And they said the way, the way that they overcame temptation, 84% said it was accomplished through prayer. 76% said it was avoiding compromising situations, literally fleeing from temptation, as the Bible says. And 52% said by having someone that they could be accountable with, making themselves no longer isolated, making it so they were no longer alone. And before I get into the points I want to make, uh, I want to look at what C.S. Lewis said. And this is observations about um, the reality of the temptations that Jesus went through. He says this, No man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. In fact, it says this in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. To sympathize with us, Christ had to fully experience temptation. When I um, was getting my master's degree at George Fox and I was working um, at Costco, um, I had uh, one of my coworkers, we became really good friends, and he was getting married, and he knew that, hey, I'm getting a, a Bible degree, I'm a Bible guy, and he says, I really like you, can you officiate my wedding? And I was humbled, and of course, he said, well, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, inside, I was like, I've never done this. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm scared. I made sure to go out and get my license. So I have a license, but I'm still like, I don't know what to say. And this is a huge deal. This is a relationship that two people enter in. It's the largest and most important relationship that two people can enter. And I have to officiate it. And people are going to be looking at me. And and they'll never remember what I say unless it's really bad, right? I could nail it out of the park and they'll be like, don't, don't care, don't know, don't remember. But if they're like, hey, remember that guy? He just biffed it. Wow, that was bad, right? So I was scared. And so I went to my, my father, and he had been a pastor for many, many years. And I said, Dad, I got to officiate this wedding. Uh, I made him think like I could do it, but I don't think I can. I don't think I can. I don't know what to say. I'm going to embarrass myself. And um, I say, can you give me some pointers? He pulls out his smartphone and he puts it on the audio feature to record everything that he's saying um, or put it to text. And he says, word for word, every single thing that you would say in a wedding. It just came out of his brain so easily. And it was beautiful. It was like, oh, yeah, that's a good one, right? Just said it. 
And I'm like, yes, wow, that's exactly what I want to say. And so I did, right? But that was, it was really awesome. It was really beautiful. When my dad said, look, I've done it. I've done it a million times. You can do it too. And I went away, not only with a bunch of texts like These are, this is going to be helpful, but I knew because my father had done it so many times that, man, I could do it too. It's so important for us to realize that the temptations of Jesus were real. That he went through it. If I, if, I mean, I want to nail this home. If I, if I took this pedestal and put it 30 feet high into the air and there were no access points at all, and at the top I put $50 million, and I said, look, that money... That money is yours under one condition. All you have to do is fly to the top with no mechanical assistance and grab it. Are you, are you tempted to fly up there? No. No, because you can't. You can't fly. The temptation is not there because it's literally impossible for you to do it. And oftentimes as Christians, we do this. We do this with Jesus and we say, well, yeah, well, yeah, but he's God. He's God. We, we overemphasize the deity only to forget the humanity and we say, well, yeah, of course he did it. He's God. The temptation however, was real. You cannot call it a temptation if it's not possible for you to give in. It's not a temptation. These were real. Jesus was tempted in the same way, as Hebrew says, as we are. We have a God that doesn't just look at us and say, you do this. We have a God that says, I've done this. I've felt that. I know that so the first real point I want to make here is the temptation to do it yourself or the temptation to serve yourself. I couldn't figure out what one I wanted to say, so I'll say them both. The temptation to do it yourself or the temptation to serve yourself. And it's the first temptation that Satan gives to Jesus. He comes to Jesus when he is incredibly hungry. And he says, if you are the son of God, the Greek makes it more clear. It's basically saying, since you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And this is how we know that the baptism and the temptation are intricately connected because Remember, at Jesus' baptism, the heaven opens up and God says, this is my son whom I am well pleased. And so Satan saw it, he knew it, he was there. And so the first temptation is, hey, since you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. Satan, one, knew that he was weak knew that he was hungry, and knew that he could do it. And it's sort of like, well, why not? I mean, there's no law that says you can't turn stone into bread. It's not something you're allowed to do. What's the problem here? Right? It seems pretty innocent. It seems really innocent to say, look, you're hungry. You're hungry, aren't you? Just turn. You can do it. You are, you are the son of God, aren't you? Turn it into bread. And he had a very similar temptation to Adam and Eve in the garden. He's playing off of their trust. Playing off the idea that maybe God's not being entirely honest. God really said that you can't eat of this tree? He said you'll die? No. You know what's going to happen. You're going to eat it and you're going to have the knowledge of good and evil. You'll be like God. You can't trust God. And so the temptation is saying you can't trust God and also, also, why don't you use what you can do to serve 
yourself. Jesus, the, the, the pinnacle passage, really the theme passage of, of Mark, the Gospel of Mark is uh, Mark 10, 45, which says, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. The temptation here was for Jesus to serve himself. And Jesus responded somewhere. Oh, here it is. Uh, But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word of God. John Piper says this about temptation. He says, it gets its power by persuading us to believe that we'll be more happy if we follow it. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. And oftentimes we convince ourselves that ultimately that's what God wants. He just wants us to be happy. I mean, I've, I've, I can't remember how many times I've heard people say, yeah, I know the Bible says this, but I also know God just wants me to be happy. So we serve ourselves. We don't trust God. We don't trust the things that he says because we think, well, we should be happy. Isn't that ultimately what God wants for us to be happy? The answer is actually yes, ultimately happy. Ultimately happy, which isn't always in the here and now. We often brag that we might be people of the word, but the question is not how much Bible we know, but how much of the Bible we're actually applying to our lives. We can know a lot. We can know a lot, but it frankly does not matter. I remember my um, teacher, his name was Tom Johnson. Uh, All of a sudden, he broke down in class because he was talking about how he knew more than his mother. He knew more than his mother about the Bible and that she treated the, the, the commentary in her Bible sometimes as the Bible itself. He's like, I know back and forth the Bible better than she does. And then he broke down he said but it doesn't matter because she loved Jesus and he said I don't know it feels like she might have loved Jesus more than me and when you go and when he when Tom said when he goes to heaven God would say oh you know a lot who cares she loved me she followed me what she did know she applied to her life it doesn't matter how much you know it's how much of what you know you apply to your life. The, the second thing is the temptation to not believe it until you actually see it. And the devil says this. Um, he, he, talks, he takes Jesus to this um, uh, area uh, on the temple roof that o- overlooked the Kidron Valley. And it's about a 450-foot drop and we don't know whether it was uh, that he took him physically or he took him in a vision. Um, but we do know that he makes a very tempting offer when he takes him there. Jesus defeated Satan in the first temptation by quoting scripture. In fact, all of his quotes are coming from Deuteronomy. Um, so maybe Jesus had been studying Deuteronomy. But he, he, he's, he's fighting Satan with scripture. And so what does Satan do? He's very smart. He quotes scripture. He uses scripture. He says, okay, if, if you're going to use scripture, then here's this one. He says, then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and then in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. So he's basically saying, look, I'll take, I'm taking you to this high point. Throw yourself off. Throw yourself off because the Bible says that God will save you. The angels will keep you from hurting yourself. Prove it. Prove that you're the son of God. Don't you have enough faith? 
Don't you have enough faith? Because if you don't jump, that means you don't trust God. If you don't jump, that means you don't have enough faith. Satan misquotes the promise of God. It's to be expected. He is a liar. And he insisted. He insisted that God somehow had to show. Show that he was actually present and active in the life of Jesus. It's the equivalent of saying to God, I won't believe it until you show it to me in my terms. Unfortunately, I, I feel like I'm sort of this way sometimes. I feel like I might have been the sort of doubting Thomas, if you don't know who that is. He's the guy who said, look, I'm not going to believe that Jesus resurrected until I feel the wounds. I want to feel them. And that's a temptation that we oftentimes, we, we don't have faith unless we see it. The, the irony here is that Satan is saying, look, don't you have enough faith to trust God in this? And Jesus is saying, I have enough faith to not have to. I have enough faith to not have to put God to the test in this way. I have enough faith to know without doing it that he would. We don't have similar temptations in that we're not like, God, I'm going to jump from the top of this church because I know you'll catch me. Please don't. Don't do that. But we do oftentimes test God in ways, even in churches. We say, God, you're not present and active if our numbers aren't increasing. God, you're not present and active if the worship wasn't right. God, uh, I'm going to go down the wrong path. And if you don't save me, it's because you're not strong enough. God, you are responsible for helping me. Uh, even when I ride the line of sin and when I fall, it's your fault. We test God, we test the boundaries, we do it all the time. We should have faith in God even without having to always see it. The third point I want to make is the temptation to take the easy way. Uh, I'm, I'm guilty of this um, in terms of wanting to take the easy way if it's available. Uh, even for chapel, I'll, if I am like, man, I really am kind of tired, I'll try to get a chapel speaker. I don't want to do it. It'd be easier for me not to. Um, I'm also very impulsive. It's e- that's easy. Very easy. I actually disabled the click now, a one buy button on my Amazon, or else I'll get 50 pounds of chocolate delivered because it was only one click away. (laughs) Uh, Yes, don't ask my wife about that. Um, But this is what what the devil says. It's the third temptation. So first he said, "Turn, turn the stone into bread. Then he takes him to a high place and says, look, quoting scripture, throw yourself off, God will save you. And then he offers, and in my mind, this is actually the the biggest temptation that Jesus has, because more than anything else, this is what he wants. It says, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. In a moment of time, and the devil said to him, all this authority, all this power, I will give to you. It has been delivered to me, and I can give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Of course, this was likely a vision, right? Because you can't just go to a mountain and see the whole world. But Satan is showing him that, look, powers and kingdoms, all this is mine. All this is mine. And the devil is probably lying about giving it to him, but he's not lying about having it. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says that Satan is the god of this world, lowercase g. And John, even um, Jesus himself in John says that Satan is the prince of this world. And the reason that this is really the greatest temptation is because it is a crossless solution. All of this 
Everything that you want, everything that you came for, I'll give it to you. I will. Everything here, I'll give it to you. You don't have to go through pain, suffering, death. You don't have to die. You don't have to do this. All of this I will give you. It is a crown without a cross. But a crown without the cross means no salvation for us. Satan could have given him everything. And Jesus didn't want, did you know this? That Jesus didn't want to die. In fact, at the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus literally slept blood. This is a real medical condition when you're under a lot of stress. You can sweat blood. Jesus is sweating blood at the Garden of Gethsemane. This is what it says. It's in Matthew 26, 36 through 39. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that was John and James, and he became anguish and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Luke says that this is where he sweat blood. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he threw himself down with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. If possible, I I don't want to do this. Yet he says, yet not what I will, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus didn't want it but he wanted more than that to follow what God had for him. We can do this where we choose the easy way. We want to do whatever it takes to avoid pain, uh, the path of least resistance. Uh, Why give money to the church if we don't necessarily see the effects? Why not Go get a fishing boat. That makes me immediately happy. I don't really fish. That wouldn't make me happy. 50 pounds of chocolate. That'd make me happy. Why why stay married to the same person, right? I want to be immediately happy, and right now maybe this person isn't making me happy, and it's not worth the struggle. It's not worth the fight. It's not worth the endurance. Even if it hurts my kids, it's not worth it, right? We do have that. We have children who are suffering, children who are hurting because Many people are taking the path of least resistance, and it hurts other people. We are in a world that has plenty of means to help, but not plenty of people worth that are, that are willing to help. And Jesus was given that opportunity, a crossless solution. And we, I mean, we know that this temptation really stuck with him because he says to Satan, Get behind me, Satan. He says that one other time. Get behind me, Satan. It's when he was uh, a little bit tired of his mini- uh, in terms of his ministry. He was a little bit exhausted. So he took all of his disciples and he went into some outlying Greek areas. He went to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And he told his disciples, don't tell anybody I'm here. And it was a unique opportunity that he could talk to his disciples. He could teach his disciples some things. Namely, it was the first time that he affirmed for the first time that he was, in fact, the Messiah. He was everything that they were expecting and hoping for. And then for the first time, he made abundantly clear to them them that he would die. He was going to suffer and die for their sake. He didn't want to. But that's what God was calling him to do. And then Peter, Peter actually says, once he understands, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, Jesus, surely, he says, this will not happen to you. You're not going to suffer and die. You're the Messiah. No. Peter was reiterating, was affirming that temptation that Satan offered. You don't have to. No. And so Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, 
Satan. Peter was tempting Jesus in the same way that Satan was tempting Jesus. Saying there has to be a crossless solution. There has to be a way for you not to suffer and die. Jesus was not willing, of course, to worship Satan. He wanted more, more than anything else, to worship God, even if that meant suffering, even if that meant dying. But don't miss the truth that's given in verse 13. It says, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until the opportune time. This verse says that when the devil had ended every temptation, the temptation was ended when he carried to completion and every avenue of attack was employed. So after Satan tried and tried and tried and tried, he ended for then. And uh, Margaret Thatcher says this. She's the first woman prime minister of England, by the way. Um, You may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. And this verse reveals that the devil will always be lurking in the shadows, watching and waiting for the next vulnerable moment. In the the life of Jesus, that was through Peter in that. That was through Peter. That was a vulnerable moment. And it was the second time and the last time Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. I'm skipping that. Okay. Um, Those are the three points. And I'm going to end with two things. Um, When Martin Luther was asked how he overcame the devil... He replied, well, when he comes knocking at the door of my heart and asks, who lives here? The dear Lord Jesus goes to the door and says, Martin Luther used to live here, but he has moved out. Now I live here. When Christ fills our lives, Satan has no entrance. See, Jesus demonstrated this in his own life when he Put God's will over his own. If we are not willing to do that, we will always give in to temptation. Jesus endured temptation and he showed us how to do it. And it was by always putting God first. If we fill our lives, if we fill our hearts with Jesus, when Satan attempts to bring us down when he attempts to tempt us and lure us into the wrong things, Jesus will come to the door and say, you have no entrance here. When uh, just recently, um, I went through a pretty horrible experience. I was in my kitchen and my son came to me. Uh, My wife wasn't home, unfortunately. And he said, daddy, daddy, I put this thing in my nose, and when I try to get it out, it just went farther. And I'm like, oh my goodness. You put something in your nose, and I knew he had these little round Lego pieces that he played with. And I look in his nose, I take out my cell phone flashlight, look at his nose, and I can't see anything. And so I do what any responsible father would do, and I go to Google, and I look up how to get things out of child's noses, right? And it gives this uh, thing, it's called an expulsion technique, and basically you cover the nostril that is unaffected, and you put your mouth over their mouth and you blow. And so I try to do this, I covered his nostril, and I'm trying to put my mouth over his mouth, and he thinks this is, and he just keeps going like, and open his mouth wider. I'm like, no, no, I'm going over your mouth. And he's like, ah, I'm like, I know, no, we're doing like a kiss, but a weird kiss, and it was a weird kiss. Um, And so he finally opens his mouth a little bit smaller so I could put my mouth over his mouth. And I didn't think this out because I blew and it worked and my face got covered in snot. (laughs) I don't know where kids store this snot, really. It was like, where'd that come from? And it was all on my face, but nothing came out. There was no Lego. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it didn't work. And so I, I keep having him blow his nose and there's more snot and more snot. I'm like, where, like, do you have like a snot pocket or something? My goodness. But lots of snot, but no Lego. 
And so I do the next uh, responsible thing, and I call my wife and tell her what she's going to have to deal with when she gets home. <laughs> and I say, look, I looked. I don't think, I don't know if it's in there. I don't know what's going on. But he said he put something in his nose, and uh, it won't come out, and I can't find it. <sighs> so I'm done. She comes home. She takes him to urgent care. And urgent care looks, looks in there, and they say, look, we can't see anything, but we also don't have all the tools to get in there. It could be deeper. It could be, and what will happen is that you'll get sinus infections, you'll end, end up getting, it'll get infected unless you get it out of there. And so they give us um, an ENR, an I, wait, no, ear, nose, throat, ear, nose, throat, ENT, ENT, yeah, that's what it is, ear, nose, throat, doctor, or whatever. They give us a referral. And... Um, my wife uh, calls, and it's like, well, they don't have appointments for like weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, just leave a Lego up the nose for four weeks, right? And they say, well, just go to the emergency room because they'll have all the tools that you'll need. Uh, so the next day, my wife can't do it. So at, right after school, I take my son, and we go to the emergency room. And he, he likes it because uh, they give him bubbles and a Ninja Turtle tattoo, and he's like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then the doctor comes in and looks in and says, I don't see anything. Uh, so we'll have to do a scope, make sure that it's not, you know, all the way down into the larynx or whatever. And uh, he says, normally we would um, sedate them, but he's young. So we'll just have to go in there. And uh, I've got an idea. We'll do a topical anesthetic. That is just a surface anesthetic. Uh, and I want you to do it. Okay. So he, he gives me this, this thing, and he's like, go ahead and do half a cc in each nostril. And I said, well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to start pushing this thing, and you're going to tell me when to stop, because I don't know what a cc is. <laughs> Gee, like, I didn't watch a lot of uh, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman or whatever, whatever doctor shows are on now, ER, I don't know. Like, I don't know what a cc is, so I'm squeezing it and you tell me when to stop. I think I did too much. It went way into my son's um, mouth afterwards. And then I have to do um, some Afrin, which is some over-counter stuff that closes it up, but it also will help it so it doesn't bleed. And uh, he said, this is going uh, to be really hard. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to hold your son on the table. You're going to lean back. You're going to put your legs around his legs and then your arms all over him to hold him still. And then a nurse is going to come in and hold his face. Uh, and this is, honestly, this was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. To hold, his, to hold his, his whole body. And as they went in, he was just screaming and quaking and just... Daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. And he's screaming and he's crying and it's horrible. And I'm literally holding him down as they're doing this. And that's just one nostril and they have to go into both. And he is just horrible. And afterwards, afterwards, he cr just curls up into my arm. And it's like, oh my goodness, I've ruined my son. He's traumatized. That's what it felt like. That like, oh my goodness, I held my son down as he was enduring this horrible thing. And my wife said, I'm glad it was you and not me. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, yeah, honestly, I don't think you could have done this. This was really hard. And um, then the uh, nurse came in and, and gave him a purple popsicle and the world was right again. <laughs> um, no, but when we were in the car and we were going home and he was saying, Daddy, I did not like that. And I told him, I know, buddy. And then I started telling him, you know, one, one time, daddy cut open his lip right here, and I have a big scar. Daddy has a big scar right here because he bit open his lip, and he had to go, and they had to sew it up, and it hurt a lot. And I started telling him about all these times that daddy got hurt, and daddy had to do things that were painful. And then he started like, oh, you had to do that too. Oh, what else happened? What, like he wanted to know a ton of times I got hurt. <laughs> but all of a sudden, you could see him understanding and becoming okay with the reality that sometimes pain happens. Sometimes suffering happens. Sometimes it hurts. But what he took the most comfort in is that it wasn't just him, but I did it too. 
And we, ha- we have to realize that everything that we go through, the temptations that we endure, the pain that we endure, that we have a God who doesn't just look at us and say, get over it. He looks at us and he says, I know I was there too. I've done that. I've been there. I've felt that. I've conquered that. You can do it too. A a cheerleader who doesn't just say, I think you can do it. I know you can do it. I've done it too. I've been there. That to me is radical. A God who's not just up there on this distant throne, but a God who came down and lived it, lived our experiences. Somebody who can can say, I've done that too. I know what it's like. To me, it's radical. It's incredible. A God who was really, actually tempted. And you know what it's like. A God we can look at and say, I know you've conquered this. Help me conquer it too. I think that's radical. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you so much that you, you are a God who has done these things and lived these things. God, that the pain we have in our life, you've done it. The temptations that we endure, that we go through, that we see, that we have, that we live with even now, God, the ones we'll have in the future, you know what it's like. You've been in the midst of that. You've been weak, and you've been alone, and you've endured temptations, God, as we endure them. And I pray that you would live in our lives, God, that you would help us endure those temptations, that you would help us be strong, God. You would help us realize that the cross, the solution that you gave us was incredible and it helps us. God, I pray that you would, um, God, that you would just show us. You would show us um, what it is we need to do to, to endure, God. That we would learn every day how to fill our lives with you more and more. And I, I love that you are a God who sympathizes with us, that you are a God who has felt what we feel. Um, and I, I love your radical love. I love your radical solutions, and I love um, how awesome you are. And I pray that everyone here um, is able to embrace you in their lives, is able to fill their lives with your love and with your glory, God, and with uh, your perseverance. And we love you in your precious name. Amen.